Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey y'all, this is Todd Craighead from Oklahoma, and you're listening to Impact Outdoors Podcast. I was always in grade school, uh, always, there was, they were always making exceptions for Todd. Poor little Todd can't do this or that, so we'll make an exception for him. And you would think that that would that would really be really attractive. Oh, Todd doesn't have to do as quite as much, or isn't expected to do the same things everybody else is because he's physically different and unable to do some of those things. But deep down inside, you know, speaking on behalf of all the disability community or disabled community, I. I fully believe that all of us want nothing more than to be treated as an equal and that's all I wanted I didn't want to be special I didn't want to be above and beyond I just want to be considered an equal and I found out at an early age that the outdoors is the great equalizer you know you're twice my height (laughs) you can probably you know lift and carry three times what I can but yet the outdoors treats you exactly the same as it does me and for the first time in my life I was considered an equal hey everybody welcome back to this week's show here on impact outdoors podcast and uh, we have got a really awesome show this week with my good friend mr. Todd Craighead from up in Oklahoma and uh, Todd's got an incredible story to share with us today about where he got to where he's at now and uh, can't wait for you to hear it. Um, we had a great time turkey hunting with Todd a couple times while we were up there. And, uh, you know, just a fascinating guy. And uh, can't wait to get up and uh, do some hunting with Todd and uh, maybe some fishing next year up in Oklahoma. Back home for me with him. So, uh, and, uh, you know, it was kind of cool because we both went to Oklahoma State. So go Pokes. Um, really love having that connection with him and stuff. And um, But this is a great show. Can't wait for you guys to listen to it. So, um with that, we're going to go ahead and jump right into this week's episode with Todd Craighead. 
Hey everyone, just wanted to remind you that we are now part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective, which is a great group of podcasters from all across the United States, all gathered in one place. So you can go straight to iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and and uh, subscribe to the collective and just get tons of great content every week delivered straight to your phone. Um, such a great opportunity for you to find new shows. Um, click over over on the Waypoint TV side. You can watch all your favorite fishing and hunting episodes and films that are out there now today. And uh, you can watch it from anywhere. Stream it from your phone, your TV, your computer, tablet, you name it, you can get it. So, waypointtv.com. And with our second episode for the Hunt Fish Podcast coming up now, we'd like to take a minute and recognize some of our sponsors. Webcams on the water that you can control. Become a member today and you too can become King of the Ocean. Know before you go with saltwaterrecon.com. Saltwaterrecon.com is not responsible for things you don't know. Hey everyone, I'm Joe Mohan. I'm the CCO Chief Chicken Officer of Chicken Boy Lures. And I want to invite you to experience my lures. And you can get them on chickenboylures.com. Some of my primary models are the Whipping Chickens, the 4-inch lure. I just came out with a really good one called the Midnight Rider. Also got the Bubba Clucker. My favorites are the Lemon Pepper Chicken Bubba Clucker, my favorite pink polio. And now we have the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Uh, chickenboylures.com. Red, trout, flounder, snook, and bass. Captain Experiences makes booking a fishing trip easy and seamless. Discover unique fishing experiences on the lakes, rivers, flats, and seas across Texas and beyond. Book a damn good trip every time with Captain Experiences. Search it, book it, live it. CaptainExperiences.com In the hill country of West Texas, there's a gathering of the most profound and rising voices in the outdoors industry with the likes of the Impact Outdoors Podcast, the Turner Rowland Podcast, the Higher Calling Wildlife Podcast, and the Aptitude Outdoors Podcast. This convocation is known as the Hunt Fish Podcast Summit, where we come together and get after some wild turkey, discuss burgeoning issues in the outdoors world, and most importantly, have a hell of a good time. So pull up your boots, grab your guns, and let's get after it. Hey, Todd. How are you, buddy? <laughs> I'm great, Derek. <laughs> I'm so glad you're on Impact Outdoors today. Thank you so much for doing this. And this is uh, the first episode we're doing live from the Double Draw Ranch here in Junction, Texas at the Hunt Fish Podcast event. I have been looking forward to this for so long. This is awesome. Oh, Thank you for man. inviting me. I can't believe it's, it's actually happened. You know, you, you think about ideas in your head about trying to do things and stuff and uh you know i had this idea probably a year ago and i was like man what you know we need to do something to get people together and, and just find an interesting group of people with some cool stories and uh and try to get some shows done and, and maybe do a little turkey hunting and uh we have not shot a bird yet but they have been all around us <laughs> that's right and you know how to bait a guy too you said turkey hunting and that's all i heard yeah <laughs> i'm in <laughs> yeah man and uh, there's no better place than texas hill crunch to go chase some rio grande turkeys so you bet. but uh man um it's an honor to have you on the show i've i've watched you a long time um 
my biggest reason for having you on the show, though, is we're both Cowboys. Absolutely. So, go Pokes. Yeah, we both went to Oklahoma <laughs> State University. Probably got the same degree. What was your degree in at school? Wildlife ecology, and yep. then I went the communications route. Nice. Yeah. yeah. And what year did you graduate from OSU? In 92. 92. Yep. So, that was a few years before me. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, we I started going there in 97. So, yeah. yeah. But, man, great school. Great town. Absolutely. Next time I get up to Oklahoma, we got to go uh, run up to Eskimo Joe's and, and have dinner or something. Absolutely. So. I still have my parents' house there in Stillwater, nice. too. So, that's where I grew up. I yeah. literally went about three blocks down the road to college. I, I, <laughs> I was uh, in a fraternity, in farmhouse fraternity, and literally it's just a few blocks from my parents' oh, house. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I love that town. Me and my wife always joked that's where we'd retire. We'd go back to still. Oh, absolutely, yeah. It's a lot better place you go where half the population leaves in the summertime. That's right. <laughs> well, growing up, we always would tease that, you know, uh, when the students would leave, we would get our town back. Yeah, You know, it exactly. wouldn't be any traffic in town and there's not much to speak of anyway but yeah 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 man good i miss Stillwater so much so um but uh but man but yeah let's uh let's get into you know growing up you know with your background and stuff you know working for the wildlife department of oklahoma and all this stuff like what what got you into the outdoors as a, as a young man young boy growing up in oklahoma well, you know, for those of your listeners that are not familiar with me, I've I've got some pretty severe birth defects. I was um, not expected to live uh, when I was born. Uh, they literally whisked me away from my mother and sedated her and then pulled my dad aside and said, this little boy, this child is so messed up. We don't know what's wrong with him, but he's probably not going to live through the night. Mm-hmm. So go home, get some rest. And if he lives through the night, then we'll figure out what to do tomorrow. Wow. And so I did live through that first night, just in case you're wondering. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So uh, the they sent me to some specialists, took me to specialists that figured out it was a very, very rare birth defect called arthrogryposis multiplex congenita, uh, just AMC mm-hmm. for short. And AMC's birth rate... Um, there are several different varieties of AMC, but the birth rate can be up to one in a quarter of a million babies. Wow. Uh, so I was up into my 30s before I ever even met another person with, with AMC. So to kind of get at your question, how did I, why was I attracted to the outdoors? What got me involved? You know, growing up, spending time in a wheelchair, the braces and the hip harness, you know, the stuff like, remember Forrest Gump Mm -hmm. and run, Forrest run. Well, I had all that stuff growing up and then was in a wheelchair for a while. And um, I was always in grade school, um, always, there was, they were always making exceptions for Todd. Poor little Todd can't do this or that. Mm -hmm. So we'll make an exception for him. And you would think that that would, that would really be really attractive. Oh, Todd doesn't have to do as quite as much or isn't expected to do the same things that everybody else is because he's physically different and unable to do some of those things. But deep down inside, you know, speaking on behalf of all the disability community or disabled community, I, I fully believe that all of us, want nothing more than to be treated as an equal exactly absolutely and that's all i wanted i didn't want to be special i didn't want to be above and beyond i just want to be considered an equal 
And I found out at an early age that the outdoors is the great equalizer. You know, you're twice my height. (laughs) You can probably, you know, lift and carry three times what I can. But yet the outdoors treats you exactly the same as it does me. And for the first time in my life, I was considered an equal. I was on the same ground and had the same starting point and the same advantages and everything else that everybody else did in the outdoors. In fact, if I if I was able to be good enough, then I could be, you know, I could be a contender, you know, like Rocky. I could be possibly even better yeah. than some. And it didn't matter at all that I had a physical disability or looked different or held my gun different or tied the knots a different way or whatever on my line because the outdoors was the great equalizer and that's that as a kid i i soaked that up like a sponge and i i absolutely loved that and um I, I i hadn't ever experienced that in any other arena in life in school in church uh you know in my own family whatever it was um I was always the one that they were making concessions for or working around or limiting what they did because Todd couldn't be involved in that. And with, with the outdoors and hunting, especially is what really is my greatest passion. Um, I could do anything that anybody else could do. It might take me twice as long to get there and I might fall, fall five times on the way. (laughs) But you know, when it came down to calling that Turkey in or making that, knowing when to make the shot on a deer, you know, I could learn just at the same rate and develop at the same rate that everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and I, I mean, growing up, I knew several young kids that I, you know, I was the same age with in school, elementary school and stuff. And, it was everybody treated them differently, you know, whether mm-hmm. they're in a wheelchair or whatever. Not always, you know, from from my point of view, you know, back even back then as a little kid, you know, it just it didn't seem right. Yeah. But the one thing I will say is that, you know, um, knowing you for a short time as we've known each other, but you, I know you're not the type of person that's going to let anything hold you back. <laughs> and you go and follow you on Facebook or any social media stuff, is like everybody will see that's very clear. Well, I so. like to be transparent. <laughs> Uh, as much as possible and that's I think you know you know when it comes to social media there's a lot of drama out there and I just a little bit I hate it (laughs) I absolutely hate it so I make sure that platforms that I are I'm on it's just fun it's just light-hearted transparent real stuff and it's fun and I make fun of myself all the time uh, because I figure uh if I don't laugh at myself, somebody else is. So I might as well be first. <laughs> right, right on. So, well, um, well, growing up, um, you know, you in Stillwater, and then going to Oklahoma State. Mm-hmm. I know you've had several different jobs around the country. I believe. Kind of what, what, what? Where did your career start after college? Well, you know, when I was still in college, having gone to college in the town that I was born in, um, you know, as a sophomore somewhere in there in college I just had a, a burning desire to see the world do something different than just be stuck in still water even though it was a great town but as an older teenager you yeah. know you're you're wanting to see more yeah. and experience more and so my um, my 
parents had some good friends in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. He was actually the president of Northern Michigan University. And uh, the Appleberries were close family friends. And they said, and my mother was talking with Mrs. Appleberry one time on the phone and said, Todd is really, you know, really dying to get out and do something. And Mrs. Appleberry said, hey, uh, there is a children's camp that's up the road from Marquette, Michigan, right on the shore of Lake Superior. It's huge. uh, And um, they, it's a children's camp for kids with disabilities. And just because Todd you know, has a disability or shaped differently or whatever. doesn't mean that he qualifies to be an instructor, but I think his background would really lend well to Mm -hmm. working with kids with disabilities. And so, long story short, I was hired to be a a nature instructor uh, at this children's camp three months for the summer and just ate it up, just soaked it up like a sponge. I taught five classes, six classes a day, I think, and we did everything from fishing to uh, building a nature trail to plant identification and more challenging stuff with some of the older kids, and it was awesome. I went back two more summers, three summers. I uh, I did that and loved it and, and got not necessarily my fill, but I did get to experience, yeah. you know, world, the world outside of Stillwater, Oklahoma. Yeah. And um, I, I, um, it got to be my senior year. And really what I had been working up towards my whole life was the, the dream to live and work in the Rocky Mountains. I had this idyllic dream of living in a log cabin at Timberline, and I had a Jeep, an old CJ7 Red Renegade Jeep, and I I just, you know, I'd lie awake at night dreaming of living in this cabin at Timberline in the Rocky Mountains with my Jeep parked outside, and um, so I did what it took to try to make that happen. I I had very supportive parents, and so my, uh, the I graduated in the fall, so the summer before my last semester, um, I decided that I wanted to focus on the Forest Service, <clears throat> and comparing different jobs and that kind of thing, the Forest Service seemed like the most appealing to me, so I sent resumes out, and this was long before the internet, you know, I had to go to the library and get addresses and all that and look stuff up, and, and uh, nobody knows out. what that's like Right, anymore. right, so <laughs> I... Um, sent resumes out to all these ranger stations in central Colorado in where I thought would be great places to live and work. And that spring break, um, I lined up five different interviews, one a day, Monday through Friday of spring break. So my parents went with me. Uh, My dad had a cousin that lived in Golden, Colorado. And uh, so we stayed with him, used that as our base camp. Then Every day, we went to one of those ranger stations an hour or two hours away up in the mountains. My parents would piddle around outside the parking lot or whatever, and I'd go in and interview. And um, I came back with several um, internship and job opportunities for that summer. And and one of them was at Rocky Mountain National Park. Uh, Another one uh, through the mail was with Yellowstone National Park. And you're thinking, why'd you turn that down? (laughs) But I wanted to, uh, even though I did apply for those and was accepted for internships, I wanted an opportunity to be in the most remote 
unpopulated, undeveloped, uncommercialized part of the Rockies that I could find. Mm -hmm. And so South Park Ranger District on the uh, uh, Pike National Forest. You remember the South Park cartoon? Yep. Uh, well, that's named after, or that's centered or based on the town of Fair Play, Colorado. And that's where the ranger station was for South Park uh, Ranger Station, or Ranger District. And so I got a job there that summer before I graduated. Went up there, I worked, um, I lived in a bunkhouse. Mm-hmm. I wasn't at Timberline, I was only about 9,000 feet, or no, I was about 8,500 feet. But I did live in a little red bunkhouse at the mouth of a beautiful canyon called 11 mile canyon and trout fished every evening for dinner worked in the ranger station and worked in a a visitor center up on a mountain pass during the day during the weekends um, i was working but i was doing um, programs in the amphitheaters on the ranger district in the Hmm. campgrounds Uh, several of our campgrounds had um, little amphitheaters set up and we as um, we were called natural resource interpreters was okay. our title and we were all summer help and we would uh, do programs for people little you know 30 45 minute programs on bear safety or the history of the forest service or the local history of the rocky mountains where we were or you know trout fishing 101 and i began to develop some you know, public speaking skills and getting up in front of people, which was to that at that point that was still pretty new and raw and um, intimidating to it's me. It's very intimidating for somebody that for most already looks different and feels conspicuous and feels like everybody's looking at them uh, and wanting nothing more than just to blend into the crowd. Well, standing up in front of people is, you know the the polar opposite of that but i began to develop a little um knack for it and a feel for it and found my comfort zone in in speaking Mm -hmm. and so after that summer i came back finished my last semester at osu graduated and then they hired me back full-time uh so well i should say not full-time as in like salaried but working Mm -hmm. full 40 hours a week and so i worked that that's that fall and that summer and then uh the next fall they um we that was in the mid 90s early 90s 93 and they um the federal government was in a hiring freeze and they said we just cannot hire any new positions if someone retires you know we can fill it but we can't hire any new positions and we're at our max capacity so what they would do is they would they would downgrade me. I would be hired for six months as a seasonal. 1,080 hours was the mo- maximum I could work. And then I would be dropped down to, I'd be essentially terminated. And to uh, keep my living quarters, I, would, I could volunteer like 10 hours a week. And I, then I'd have free bunk, I'd live in the bunkhouse for free. So I worked in the winters at the ski resort in Breckenridge, Colorado. And uh, there's my breakfast, sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was <laughs> but, a good breakfast, yeah, too. Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> so I uh, I worked in the fall and winter months at a little clothing store on the main street of Breckenridge. And then once spring would roll around, 
Forest Service would pick me up full time again. I'd work for six months and then be terminated for six. But you and made it work. I made it work, but something was gnawing inside of me that this wasn't working out. Mm-hmm. As great as it was, it wasn't the full, complete package dream that I had hoped. I had hoped that I would, you know, I'd had, I've been at college for an awfully long time and I had worked hard for that. And I, um, you know, I was just summer help. Yeah. You know, I, I had a great position, but I had no insurance, no, um, you know, it wasn't a career path, you know, no um, benefits of any kind. Uh, I wasn't working working off time towards retirement or anything and um it just it ate away at me and so i eventually um i don't know what the scope of your the podcast is but i'm going to be very transparent and say that i'm i'm a christian Mm -hmm. and i remember very clearly to this day being in that clothing store it was dead there had not been a customer in there for like two hours becoming very convicted uh, by the Holy Spirit telling me, Todd, um, there's something else for you. And I remember very clearly hearing that, feeling that, and I just decided that it's time to to quit living my life for me. You know, self-indulgent, soaking up what I want mm-hmm. and doing things that were best for me. And listen to the Holy Spirit and do what it was leading me to do. So I decided, okay, I'm going to start over. Just start from scratch. Clean the slate and start from scratch. And I got a Quiznos napkin from my dinner that night. And I just prayed that God would fill my mind with all the possibilities, things to do with my life. Go back to school. Maybe go get a teaching degree and and work in education. Maybe it was... um, uh, go to seminary. Maybe it was, I am where I'm supposed to be and stick it out, you know. Uh, and I, I wrote all these things on this list and decided I'm just going to pray over it for a while and figure out what I'm supposed to do with my life. A week later, I mean literally one week later, one morning in the bunkhouse, now I'm living in Fair Play, which is at 10,000 feet in a little four service bunkhouse, and we had a pay phone in the living room. And so, and I just kept a, a bowl of quarters right there uh, for me to make calls. Because uh, I was, in the wintertime, I was there alone. I was living there alone. In the summer, that's when all the other college people would right. come and work. And so the phone rang, 8 o'clock one morning. And uh, so I answer the payphone in the living room. And it's this lady named Tammy. She introduces herself. She said, I work at the Oklahoma Department of Wildlife. And she said, uh, You've, your name has come across my desk from two or three different sources. We have a position open. I don't even know if you're available or even interested, but would you be open for me to send you an application? And I, it was phenomenal. It was like, crazy? holy cow, yes, absolutely. So she FedEx it to me. I told her, I said, I'm, I apologize about my... Um, unprofessionalism but i don't have a typewriter or anything i'm gonna to have to fill this application out by hand and i apologize about that i know that's not proper and she said oh don't worry about it so i filled it out fedexed it later to her and um uh, you know three months go by 
state employee, you're a state employee, you know, yep. those things don't happen fast. But no. <laughs> three months later, I'm in Oklahoma, and it's my first day on the job at the wildlife department. I was hired as an information specialist to do uh, all of our print publications. And um, I, uh, I, I mean, I was ecstatic, but I moved from a town of 300 in Colorado to middle of Oklahoma City you know geographically one of the largest sprawling cities in the world and I had incredible intimidation you know and um, culture shock you know Mm. being dumped in the middle of a big giant city imagine even Stillwater when you left was still pretty small oh absolutely yeah oh now it's a huge town it's a two Walmart town now yeah I mean they got everything there (laughs) well Back then it wasn't, and Oklahoma City was very intimidating. About halfway through my first day on the job, December 1st of 1995, it was a Friday, um, It something hit me square between the eyes, and I have never felt that feeling before. It was the, it was the most sickening, empty-hearted scared feeling I've ever had and it was something was saying in my head Todd uh, you forgot something you didn't pray over this you just assume this is what God wanted for you to do because it landed in your lap but what if you've made yet another self-indulgent selfish choice to follow your dreams and not what God wanted you to do and, you know, looking back on that, I know very clearly that was Satan stepping up and trying to fill my head with doubt. You know, what was supposed to be one of the greatest days of my life at that point, you know, first day of my career, uh, my dream job, uh, and he was filling me with all kinds of doubt. And I was sick to my stomach the rest of that day, knowing that it was true. I had not prayed about this. I didn't know if... If yes, I did make another selfish choice, you know, I was tempted with something and I just ran with it without praying over it. I was scared to death. So that evening I go home, I had a little rent house, $200 a month in the middle of Oklahoma City, technically in Nichols Hills, which is Mm -hmm. the whoop-de-doo swanky neighborhood place in town in the city. Well, uh, it wasn't a nice house, a little tiny, tiny two-bedroom house, but uh, my comfort zone growing up, I just wanted something that reminded me of home, and it was Brahms. We've talked about Brahms and joked about it. We love Brahms. Absolutely. If you don't know about Brahms, you're definitely missing yeah, out in you're Oklahoma. Missing. So. Uh, so Brahms, uh, that's what I wanted more than anything. I just wanted to wallow in my sorrow in a bucket of Brahms ice cream, you know. And just, What's your favorite flavor? I, uh, praline, pecan, praline, and cream. Yeah. Good one. Yeah. Yep. Well, anyway, <laughs> I didn't know where I was. No smartphones back then. And so no real internet accessible to the masses back then. Mm-hmm. So I just start driving and literally a mile from my house, there's a Brahms. So I pull in and I go in. <laughs> I didn't even realize that by the, when I lived in Colorado, Brahms now had drive throughs you know, they were, <laughs> They were drive-thrus now, but I didn't know that. So I went in. It was a Friday night, and it was nothing but teenagers in there. And I was 25 at the time and very still intimidated by a restaurant full of teenagers that were there on date night. Mm. You know, and I'm this frumpy, you know, 
pudgy. I wasn't bald back then, but I was pudgy, you know, middle, you know, not middle-aged, but older than them. I was the oldest yeah. person in Brahms. So I got my order and got it to go. And as I waited for my order, I sat in a bench right at the front there. And uh, this is probably not where you thought this podcast would go. Keep coming. No, I <laughs> but, love this. Uh, I, I'm sitting there on the bench, and uh, and this high school kid comes up and sits right next to me. And uh, he's waiting on his order, too. But it was kind of odd that he sat on this little two-person bench right next to me. And so he starts crossing his arms, crossing his legs, <clears throat> you know, kind of clearing his throat. And I'm thinking, this kid is going to say something. He wants to, he's trying to get up the nerve to say something to me. And sure enough, after a little bit, he turns and looks me square in the eye. And he said, um, you're a Christian, aren't you? And my jaw kind of dropped. It was almost like he was saying that, accusing me. But, you know, but I said, well, yes, I, I am. And he goes, he says, I am too. And the moment that I came in here with my girlfriend, we saw you in line, said the Holy Spirit was speaking to me, saying that you needed me to pray for you about something. And then he said, this is when you're going to get chills. He said, is there a decision you've made in your life recently that you're unsure of? And that you haven't really heard God's full direction on yeah. yet. Oh my gosh, I got the chills. And I <laughs> and that's said, where he speaks to you. Yes. It's, and, it's so surreal. And people that don't know God yes. don't don't understand that. So he's using this this seventeen year old kid, you know, wow. in Brahms. And he uh so the kid, I, I tell him my, you know, one sentence story. I say, yeah, I just moved here from out of state. I, you know, I'm practically crying. I took a job, and I don't know if I made the right decision, you know. And and he said, uh, he said, well, do you mind if I just pray for you? And I, I thought he meant like, you know, Wednesday night at youth group or something, you know. Yeah. It, no, he meant right then in yeah. Brahms. Wow. And next thing I know, he's he's bowing his head, and I will never forget this prayer as long as I live. He said, Dear Lord, let this man know that he has made the right decision. He is walking in your will and to never look back and move forward with this plan. Oh, Amen. And that was it. That's awesome. He looks up. We lock eyes, and he's got this like sense of relief, like, man, that was it, wasn't it? <laughs> like he was running on autopilot and didn't even hardly know what he was saying. And I said, I think I kind of shook my head or something. Uh -huh. My number was called. I stumble up there, get it, walk out to the Jeep, go home, never see that kid again. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. But, you know, if that kid, by some <clears throat> miracle, is listening, you know, I literally thank God for him every single day because there have been a lot of times in my life that I couldn't hear the voice of God in my life and yet in amongst all that distraction that ev evening he was on a date he was um, surrounded by peers he was in a public place and I'm a stranger and in amongst all those distractions he still heard the Holy Spirit speaking to him to pray for me man yep. and the rest is history is history i've been yep. there for 25 years at the wildlife department i um i'm the uh one of the three producers of our weekly television show outdoor oklahoma uh for over 20 years now i've been the host longest 
uh, tenured host in the history of our our show is about to turn 47 um, in a couple months. 47 years uh, running of continuous programming, and uh, I've been doing it for 20 plus years. I grew years. up watching that show. You know, I mean, <laughs> me too. Yeah, I mean, it was just like, uh, man, this this show is exactly what I want to be a part of when I get older and stuff, and and. Um, you know, I remember watching uh, Rich Fuller. Yes, yeah, I'm, yes. I'll, you know, I loved watching him when he Great hosted co-worker. and stuff. And, and who was who before was him before was, was David Warren, um, yeah. or actually Paul Moore. Paul Moore was yeah, in that's between the one I'm them. Thinking of. Yeah, Paul, Paul Moore, uh, then David Warren, and yeah. David. Thank Co- you, Rich and, and Paul. I mean, y'all made a big yeah. impact on, on my. Oh yeah life really that's awesome um you know and you're making a huge impact on all these (laughs) other people so well it is the most fulfilling rewarding thing that i could ever Mm -hmm. imagine being a part of i've had other job opportunities and offers come down the line and i just practically laugh because when you get that kind of affirmation Mm -hmm. you know from the voice of god through a 17 year old kid yeah i mean that's you don't mess with that (laughs) yeah yeah and and I think a lot of people, you know, they look at, you know, I mean, I work for the state down here for the fisheries department and stuff, and where you're at, it's like, we don't do this for the money. No, heavens <laughs> no. Absolutely so This is no. a lifelong passion, you know, and, and, and a lot of, you know, a lot of what I've, you know, done as far as like the research and the science part of it, but, you know, it's transferred into kind of what you're doing is like educating people, especially young Certainly. people, you know, and, and that's where... You know, um, our future is going to be, you know, if we don't educate them on the outdoors yeah. and conservation and hunting and fishing, you know, skills and, and things like that, you know, we're going to yeah. lose that. Absolutely. Um, and I don't think, you know, you, th- you talk about this past year and a half, whatever we've had with the pandemic, mm. with COVID and all this crap. And, and uh, you know, you got to look at the silver lining behind that because look oh, yeah. how many people have been brought to the outdoors in the past 18 months yes or a year whatever it's been i guess it's only been a year but um it's insane i don't know if you have any statistics from texas but in oklahoma we had a literal record breaking year in in license sales were uh 150 percent more than the previous year any other year hunting license sales were up over 30 percent uh we harvested we set a new uh, white-tailed deer harvest record that eclipsed the previous record by 10,000. I mean, mm. people were out in droves, and we were in pole <sighs> position to meet them head-on with a phenomenal opportunity. In Oklahoma, we coined a, a slogan, uh, the outdoors are always open. Right, I you know, love that. When yeah. everything else closes around you, the outdoors yeah. are always open, and we capitalized on that. And, I mean, our social media just blew up with new followers and our license sales. And, mm-hmm. I mean, you couldn't go to Walmart or Academy and find a bicycle, a fishing Nothing. pole, or a tent, you know? Still lucky if you can find anything right, right now. I mean, it was, it's been no a boats, phenomenal. There were no boats, there were no RVs, there was no, right. no I mean, bobbers, like nothing, you know, it's, nothing It's available. been incredible for our, our um, business side of things. And it's, it's almost scary to think about how many more people... You know, they might have went to there and seen all that gone. Like, how many more people we could have possibly missed sure. getting in the outdoors, you sure. know? But still, it's it's a yeah. huge impact. And, and our challenge now as natural resource um, conservationists and managers, our challenge now is all this brand new 
demographic that's come on board Mm -hmm. and discovered hunting, discovered the outdoors, discovered fishing, or maybe rediscovered it from their youth, how do we retain them? How do we keep them engaged and keep the outdoors relevant for them and make it not just something on the blip of their life that, you know, oh, during that pandemic thing, there wasn't anything else to do, so... We went fishing or we went camping. How do we turn that into a lifestyle for these this new demographic of yeah. people? Yeah. Yeah. And um, I know we, uh, we've we got Paul Fazinski here. We've been hunting, well, the three of us together, the past couple couple hunts. And, uh, you know, he has discovered turkey hunting. And oh, my goodness. I think after this morning, he was like, I'm getting ready to spend a ton of money yeah. on turkey. <laughs> Last <laughs> night, um, and I didn't know this until we're sitting up, you know, our backs against trees, shotguns on our, on our knees. And I said, is this your first turkey hunt? He goes, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, and it was action-packed. I mean, you know, I, that is, that was inspiring for me mm-hmm. to see somebody that worked up. I mean, this gobbler was not going to come in yeah. 200, 300 yards away. He was away. Us from 200 he yards was away. gobbling and there was no way in a veteran hunter that's <clears throat> been doing this for a long time. I mean, my heart didn't even skip a beat. You know, I'm in the zone and I'm ready for when things start to happen, but <clears throat> I'm totally chillaxing there. And, and he is white knuckling that gun and shaking and breathing heavy. And the turkey's 300 yards out. We can't even see it. I know. And I told him, <laughs> breathe, just breathe. It's going to be okay. Yeah. But yeah. you know, that's, that's, if we, if we as hunters ever lose that, then we need to just go to the mall with our wives, you know, for yep. the day. Cause I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's what I live for. I think that's why, um. You know, I had Cus Strickland on the podcast a few episodes ago, and we talked about it briefly about why he brought it up. You know, why turkey hunting is so more, so much more feasible for a new hunter yeah. versus deer hunting or something sure. like that. And you know, like people can can potentially see themselves like harvesting a, a bird, yeah, cleaning a bird, yeah, where a deer can be like very, very intimidating if oh, you've never yeah. been around it at all. Yes, um, and what? it's and it's not really, but it's just the thought process of right. it, you know, and. and one time, just a very quick story, uh, years ago, early on in my career, I was low man on the totem pole, so during the deer gun season week, which is in Oklahoma, uh, Thanksgiving week, I'm stuck at the office. Everybody else had off, and it was me and like two secretaries in our entire headquarters building. And uh, one of the, out hunting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all took off. I didn't know any better, plus I didn't have the time to take off. So one of the secretaries calls me from upstairs and said, uh, Todd, I got this guy on the phone, and I don't really know what to do or how to help him. Can I just transfer it to you? Sure. Long story short, it's a guy that had just shot his first deer. He's on a little flip phone, Motorola flip phone, yep. and he doesn't know what to do with it. Doesn't know what to do. And over his flip phone... I walk him through step by step. I'm on the phone with him for an hour as he's field dressing this deer. You know, I'm telling him what to feel for, what to look for, where to put the knife, what to pull, you know, all that kind of stuff. And at one time, I hear this just, just you know, jumble mess. And, he, and then it was silent. And then he goes, are you still there? And I go, yeah. He goes, dude, I just dropped the phone inside the deer. <laughs> <laughs> it was hilarious, but I've I've yet to get a call about cleaning a fish at work, but but yeah, dear, that's pretty that's pretty crazy. It was it was awesome, but yeah, I mean that I will be the first to admit 
that I don't want to sugarcoat it and say the politically correct thing that we think that anti-hunters or non-hunters want to hear and me say, well, I'm hunting to put food on my family's table. I could do that much cheaper and much easier going to the grocery store. Yeah. I'm there for that rush yeah. and that experience of that self of that sense of self-reliance and that accomplishment and uh, and that adrenaline rush. I Just mean, I'm there a for turkey that. Turkey gobble, that's enough for me. Absolutely. Shooting a bird, I mean, I've shot turkeys, but I mean, shooting a bird, I get so much more pleasure out of like you taking people, yes. especially for their first time. Certainly. Whatever yeah. hunting it is, you know, and my daughter's like right on the verge of maybe Maybe next week or the week after going on her first turkey hunt, oh, she might be great. the shooter. So that's great. Um, she's that's only awesome. seven. She's just eat up with it. You know, oh, that's and, awesome. Uh, loves going hunting with me and stuff. But well, it's finding what I have learned the hard way through lots of trial and error. I've learned when I'm gonna when I'm approaching somebody or that conversation of hunting comes up and they've never been, but they sound kind of interested. Yeah, I might like to go with you sometime. I have learned to be very forthcoming and blunt and i say why why do you want to come what's your motivation why do you want to be here why what excites you or entices you uh to want to do this and uh perfect example is my daughter she's going to turn 23 in a in a couple weeks she lives in savannah georgia now i graduated college has a great job out there and uh Four years ago, three or four years ago, she was in school uh, and in college and called up and said, Dad, I think I want a deer hunt. And this kid is, I mean, she's the greatest kid in the world, you know, not because she's mine, but she's just, she is. And as a little girl, she loved to go with me. She, and I had all, you know, she had all the cutest camo and camo bows and camo, you know, everything. And she loved it (laughs) and would go when she's, you know, six, seven, uh, maybe up into eight years old. But she was into just playing and being outside and, and that was okay. That was fine. I was totally cool with that. I felt as a dad that was intimately involved in the hunting industry and the hunting world that it was my responsibility to share it and expose her to it. Mm-hmm. But it was her opportunity to embrace it or not. And I'm not going to push that on her. Yeah. Well, and she didn't. And that was fine with me. Well, then at 19 <clears throat> years old, she calls up and says, I think I want to hunt. I, I want to go deer hunting. I'm like, awesome. But then I remembered my rule. I said, why? Why do you want to hunt? And she, I said, is it because you want to just shoot a great big one and put it on the wall with mine and just mark that off your bucket list, you know? Or is it that you just want to shoot any deer and say you've done it, you know? Mm-hmm. Or what's, what's your objective? What's your goal? And she goes, no, I, I mostly want it for the food. I want to cook with it. Yeah. And so I thought, yeah awesome because now the pressure's off any old deer will do you know Mm -hmm. and sure enough that stinker shot a huge nine point of course she did yeah that's what happened yeah so her very first deer (laughs) and uh and she's hooked she um she's got a a 135 pound field dressed doe the next year (laughs) that is huge for an oklahoma doe that's a big one and uh and uh uh she's she's all about it we've gone duck hunting pheasant hunting um and she's flying home. This is a, is this Friday? She's Today's flying Friday, home yeah. this upcoming Wednesday, flying her home, and she's going to um, 
be on an episode with me on Outdoor Oklahoma. Oh, We're going to cool go turkey hunting. Yeah, so I'm going to meet special. her at the airport, you know, in, in the terminal with the big <laughs> sign, you know, and embarrass the heck out of her. We're going <laughs> to be videoing all that in our hunt. Uh, but, yeah, she is, her story is really not all that unique of a lot of kids that were exposed mm-hmm. to it when they were seven, you yeah. know, and then for whatever reason, they get involved in other stuff and get distracted <laughs> and go in different directions. And then a lot of them that are in their 20s <clears throat> are, you know, remembering, yeah, I had some background in that. I kind of know what to expect, but now I want to go about it, you know, on my own. I want this to be my thing and not my dad's thing or my grandpa's thing that I just tagged along on. Yeah. Uh, and that's a that's a very strong, very marketable demographic. Mm-hmm. They're heavy into social media. I mean, they are reachable <clears throat> if we can just reach them with the right kind of messaging. Yeah. Yeah. And and nowadays with the with YouTube and all this stuff, you know, they can. They probably look out and, and look up some of this stuff, you know, before. Oh, absolutely. And can kind of get an idea and see, you know, some of these younger people that are influencers on social media and stuff yeah. doing some of this stuff and be like, maybe, you know, like I said, maybe that's something I could do, you know. Yeah. I did a show uh, last summer, not this pandemic summer, but the one before, of this nine-year-old little boy. I happened to know his dad and was on Facebook with his dad and um, so knew about Nate. Nate... Uh, was is ate up with fishing but no one is in his entire extended family on either side fishes so this nine-year-old kid would come home every day after school and youtube videos on how to tie knots what kind of baits to use how to cast how to present your bait all this stuff how to set a hook how to i mean everything he taught himself how to fish watching youtube and is a phenomenal fisherman and so I did a whole episode on that. That's cool. I hooked him up with one of our game wardens that's a, just ate up with bass fishing. We <clears throat> treated him and his dad. Uh, this game warden took him out, and Nate caught his biggest largemouth bass ever that's on awesome. camera. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. Man, you probably got millions of stories from working with the department up there. Stuff well, like when this, you're as you know. old as I am, they <laughs> add up. <laughs> so um, one thing I wanted to talk to you about was, you know um, – we were talking about all the social media people and things. Is like, it seems like over probably the last ten years, like deer hunting's always been big in Oklahoma. It's a pastime, just like it is here in Texas and many other states in the country. But it seems like Oklahoma has been able, and I don't know what's happened, but just produce so many more, you know, n- nice mature white-tailed deer, and drawing in a lot of non-resident hunters, which I'm sure has made an impact financially for the department. But, but um. You know, and maybe it was there before, but we just didn't know, you know. But you, know, you see a lot of TV shows, a lot of, a lot of production stuff coming into the state looking for white-tailed deer. And yeah, that's all like that. We don't have any big deer yeah. left. Yeah. Sorry, okay, no, one, no one yeah. come to Oklahoma. Yeah. No, actually, yes. We have, for many years, been on that fringe and been referred to as a sleeper state, mm-hmm. you know, that's there, has big bucks, but nobody really knows about it. However, it seems like in the last maybe just five years, the recognition of that outside Oklahoma has just exponentially expanded across the country. And you're right. I mean, I am very proud of what our deer managers and biologists have been able to accomplish in Oklahoma. And, you know, as as 
dear managers, folks that work for the wildlife department, TPWD, we pri- our primary um, management tool are regulations, mm-hmm. manipulating how the public takes animals from the population, and that's how we manipulate and affect Right. the rest of the population so yeah we can increase doe opportunities and we can uh, do all these different uh, regulations but honestly when it comes down to it it's it was educating our hunters and there was a big stigma for a long time about uh, for generations that oh you don't shoot does that's taboo don't shoot a doe you yeah. know that they're your breeders they're the ones that are growing your herd don't shoot does but our population has we're not saturated you know we're not oversaturated but mm-hmm. we're to the point where we're pretty flush with deer i mean we're at in many parts of our state we are at our carrying capacity for the habitat and so we had to but our hunters weren't necessarily taking any we we were allowing them to take more and more does every year, but the the percentage of antlerless harvest in our annual harvest wasn't increasing. Hmm. And so uh, this was about 20 years ago. Uh, we, we had a brainstorming in my division, which was uh, then the information and education division uh, for the wildlife department. And we came up with a very lengthy process to come up with a slogan and a campaign. And we called it, Hunters in the know, take a doe. Yep. Do you remember I that? remember, absolutely. I was in on the ground floor, yeah. you know, as we were thinking of this. That's and, cool. uh, <laughs> and you know, had all these other options on the, on the chalkboard, you know, and voting. And, you know, people were petitioning for their idea. And hunters in the know, take a doe stuck and we made bumper stickers. We plastered it on all of our publications, mentioned it on our TV show, everything. And what we realized is that all the regulations in the world are not going to change hunter behavior if it if there's a stigma <clears throat> against something. Mm-hmm. We could let them we could let them take a hundred does a year, a piece, and the percentage of doe har- harvest would remain the same. So we had to educate them, and with that simple campaign that stuck, we started increasing incrementally incrementally that percentage of antlerless harvest every year and uh and we now know we're to the point that it's no longer taboo to shoot a doe you know uh and and in fact we have we and i'm encompassing everyone in the in the you know wildlife conservation industry or realm or managers we have done a good enough job now that hunters are understanding that if you really, really want some big bucks on your property, it starts by reducing the number, number. of does. Yep. And there's, that's hard science, but it was a stigmatism that we had to overcome. And now it's, it's finally happening. We had the largest percentage of antlerless harvest in the annual harvest this year than we ever had. And the regulations didn't change at all. Mm-hmm. But we adopted that. We, had, we put a twist on it. Instead of hunters in the know, take a doe, it's hunters in the know, let them grow. Yep. And that, that whole spin was, if you're going to shoot a deer, if all you're after is just to shoot a deer, then let those one-and-a-half-year-old deer mm-hmm. walk. Shoot a doe. You know, and by shooting a doe, you're actually benefiting the herd where you're going to 
eventually have bigger bucks. Yeah, and it's, it's hard for people to understand that. And, and this translates not just to, I mean, wildlife, but, I mean, fishery. I mean, we see it with yeah. with people wanting to grow trophy bass in their ponds yeah. and stuff like that. So, well, you have to take some of the fish out. Yes. They are not going to get bigger if everything's in there competing for the same yes. food, you know. Yeah. And, and, um, and do you have slots? Yeah. Slots yeah. In, on species? Yeah, I mean, our, our fisheries guys say all the time that slots many times – are not as effective as they're intended to be because people are not keeping the fish that are under the slot. Nope. You're supposed to. Just yeah. throw back the ones that are in that 13 to 16 inch range or whatever mm-hmm. your slot is. You know, keep the one or two that you're allowed that are over and keep everything that's under. Yeah. Uh, but people are slow to do that. Yeah. They just don't yeah. do it. Yep, for sure. So It's all about education. But it's good. I'm I, I'm always like you said, I'm proud, you know, to see how, how well and how well known Oklahoma's becoming for producing big deer and stuff and I know that drives a lot of locals crazy. I mean yeah. I live down here now and last year, you know, we hunt some national forests for, for eastern turkeys and it was frustrating because there were so <laughs> many people. Yeah. You know, but yeah. it was cool because everybody we met it was their first time to go turkey hunting, you know. Yeah. And uh one rabbit hole story real quick but we were we were hunting and uh, my buddy had done a video for the wildlife department here several years back about hunting turkeys and um that video reruns like every spring right <laughs> yeah and uh so we were come out of the woods and uh, there was a truck parked by my truck and his and we we're like talking to these guys and uh it's like yeah it's like is this your first time turkey hunters like yeah yep so we just got into it and and uh, we talked to him for probably an hour and there's like yeah we was watching this uh we seen this video of uh, this guy turkey hunting in East Texas, and we just started looking at where we could go. And I'm not giving anything away where we're hunting, but but um, <laughs> and uh, sure enough, I was I just popped off. I was like, "Was his name Terrence?" Yeah, I've had Terrence on the show, and we talked about this. But oh, he's yeah. like, Terrence, yeah. And I pulled up a picture of it, and showed him. He's like, well, "Well, that's him. It was dark, you know." He's <laughs> like, "Oh my gosh!" He's like, "We're here because of you." <laughs> Oh man, that is that is awesome though. That is so, awesome. But yeah, I mean that's it's it's you know uh, you don't want everybody taking out your honey holes, but if it gets people in the sport, you know that's what it takes, and eventually they're going to go and hopefully show somebody else and bring Certainly. them in on down the line. So, yeah, I'm but, old enough now that I've got what were kids that I mentored are now in their mid-20s, and they're taking first-timers out. Yeah. You know, one kid, my very special, I, I call him a kid because I've known him since he was a kid, but he's 25. <laughs> Caleb is not a kid anymore, but uh, Caleb texted me here a couple of weeks ago with a picture, and he said, I just called my buddy uh, in his first turkey. And this was, I don't know how old the kid was, like nine years old or something. Wow. And, uh, and I said, man, Caleb, I remember I called your first turkey. And he goes, yep, I think about that all the time. Yeah. And, you know, I think uh, I was talking with, with Gary, the ranch owner here at Double Draw last night. Oh, Gene, yeah. Oh, I'm yeah, sorry, yeah, yes, Gene. Gene. Yeah. And said that, um, uh, you know, when it comes, you remember your first deer, mm-hmm. your first turkey. Everything uh, about it. Including who was there, right? Yep. It's because that's ingrained in your mind forever. I remember the details of my first hunt and who I was with. And to and that is a very special privilege to get to be a part of somebody's very first deer. Because for better or worse, they are never going to forget that. Yep. And so I always try to keep that in the forefront of my mind when I'm out with somebody new. 
and make sure that they have a positive impression and a positive experience because you only get one first right. deer, yep. one first turkey, you know. Yeah, it's just like taking a kid fishing. You got you know, really need to do something simple. You know, take yes. them sun fishing or get something. Get them some success. And, and, uh, yeah, and then get them get them wet, for, excited for that. You know, catching those fish and all that. And uh, yeah, but um, well, you've uh, we were talking earlier. You've got to meet a lot of cool people in your career. Oh, absolutely. I, mean, I know you've done some cool shows. We got a lot of Oklahoma celebrities and stuff. And I know sure. you've met Blake and some some yes. other people. Tell yep. us, you got any cool stories about any any uh, of those encounters? I got a couple embarrassing <laughs> stories, but um, you know, uh, Duck Dynasty. Uh-huh. Before Duck Dynasty, it was Duck Commander, the call company. Right. And Phil Robertson was a legend before the show, but only in amongst waterfowlers you know anybody else didn't know who phil robertson was mm-hmm. well i did you know and i was a duck hunter and he was going to be in tulsa speaking at this banquet i contacted his manager who just happens to be miss k his wife uh and uh we arranged an opportunity for me to do a interview with him mm-hmm and uh so i went over to tulsa and uh duck dynasty dynasty had just started like it was in the midst of their very first season so he was becoming recognizable in the general public yeah. uh but wasn't at that you know you know household name level right. yet well <clears throat> so i do this interview and i am starstruck with him i'm like this is i can't believe i am with you know you know phil robertson the duck commander and um after the interview, you know, I break everything down and thank him and all that. I hit the road, and they go to the banquet, and then I realize I left the wireless mic hooked up to him. <laughs> I left the mic on him, and I was so embarrassed and contacted Miss Kay, and, and she, you know, sent it back to us. And I mean, it was just embarrassing, but that was, that was a highlight. I got to um, interview Ted Nugent. Oh, one yeah. time in Oklahoma, which was cool. Um, and uh, embarrassing part about that, uh, just a rookie mistake again. Uh, I had uh, set everything up, got everything ready. I even had him a great big on an easel, a big giant cue card of this PSA I wanted him to do after the interview, mm-hmm. which was worthless because he is such such a good ad libber. I mean, he can just yep. off the cuff do amazing stuff. Well, so uh, I get, but he got delayed doing some other things with other people. And when it was my turn, um, I got everything ready and realized that my <coughs> mic batteries, probably the same one I had on Phil Robertson, the batteries died. And I didn't have any spare mm-hmm. double A's so embarrassing in my one shot to get this interview with ted nugent and as down to earth as he is he goes hey no sweat and there was kind of a crowd that had gathered there right watching this was at an outdoor show in uh, woodward oklahoma okay and uh um, he uh he said anybody got a couple double a's and (laughs) every redneck in that in that sale barn at the fairgrounds was like digging through their pockets. <laughs> like I want to give double A's. I want to be the one that gave double A's to Ted Nugent. 
you know, and like 30 seconds later, five redneck and cowboys all come up with double A. Here, take mine. Please take mine, Ted, you know. Uncle Ted, use my batteries. Sign these. Yeah. You can keep them. And so he puts them in his, in his uh, mic pack, and, and we do the interview. And, and uh, he didn't, st- after the interview, then he's going to do He this won't one. ever forget that either. You know. I would hope not. That's okay. I'm if he still remembers that, you know, pretzel shaped <coughs> kid from Oklahoma that didn't have backup batteries, you know, that's okay. I'm good with that. But uh yeah, he uh, he just ad libbed my PSA and it was awesome. You know, yeah. ten times better than what I even wrote. Uh but yeah, that was a highlight. And then we've done we have been very fortunate to have been able to embrace Blake Shelton early on in his career. Couple number one singles, a couple records, but not the level, you know, not the George Strait, Garth Brooks level yeah. that he is now. Yeah, for sure. And so, is that should I have said that since we're in Texas compared uh, him to George Strait? I don't. Okay. I don't care. Yeah, well, I'm from Oklahoma. So okay. Here. <laughs> so he wasn't, you know, the voice. He wasn't the household name. Anyway, he. Um, uh, but one of our game wardens was his game warden growing up in Johnson County uh, or in Pontotoc County, actually, around the Ada area. And so Jim Edwards was good friends with him, literally had him, you know, saved in his phone, could just call up Blake and visit. Yep. And so he paved the way for our agency to begin to collaborate with Blake. And we've done several shows. You know, the, uh, we do a big wildlife expo mm-hmm. every uh, fall, uh, bringing in 50-plus thousand people to experience this free, like, fair that's all centered on wildlife. One year, I can't believe we did this, one year Blake came and did a free concert there oh, wow. at the Lazy E Arena for us. <laughs> uh, but... Um, He's now a board member on our Wildlife Foundation. That's, that's awesome. a private, yeah, I didn't know that. separate 501c3 that raises money for mm-hmm. the wildlife department. He's a board member for us. Uh, we just went paddle fishing with him a couple weeks ago. Yep. Uh, go paddle f- or do some kind of fishing trip with him every year, it seems. One of the first trips I got to go on with him was on Texoma, and we're striper fishing. And in the show, we're, I'm in a camera boat, and they're fishing in a separate boat. And, uh, and we're, we're right up next to them, and we've had several good fish in the boat. And I said, okay, Blake, hold up a couple of these. I want you to do a tease for the beginning of the show and say, hey, y'all, I'm Blake Shelton. Today we're going to be fishing for giant stripers on Lake Texoma, you know, <laughs> only on outdoor Oklahoma, you know. And I said, you got it? And he goes, yeah, I got it. You're rolling. I'm good. Okay. Action. He And he goes, he holds up these two big stripers. goes, hey, y'all, I'm Blake Shelton. Check out these MFers. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, I, and everybody just cracks up laughing. I go, I can't use that. And he goes, nope, that's all you're getting. Sorry. <laughs> and he wouldn't redo it. <laughs> Oh man, that's but funny. He is a hoot, and I'm, I am, I am, really. We are, as an agency, very fortunate that um, he embraces what we do. And yeah, he's a big time walking. Man. He, he's, I mean, he's got deer he's track got, tattoos. Dude. Yeah, I mean, he's got, that's, he's, his ranch is pretty, pretty good size too. Isn't yes, it? we I've even did a fishing TV shows. We did a fishing clinic there. with a bunch of kids in the um, DHS system mm-hmm. uh, on his ranch this last summer. Nice, that's yeah. awesome. With Gwen Stefani right there. Yeah, I mean, of course. Yeah, Crazy. So, man, that's cool. Um, you know, <clears throat> we've been on here for almost an hour. <laughs> My allergies are freaking killing me. Oh, so. yeah. 
Um, <coughs> and I think we've literally had three seasons since we started this. I know. It was, it was raining, raining when we stopped. Super windy. It was cold. And now it's the getting hot. coming so, out. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you know, talk about you do a lot to give back and stuff. And, and I know you do some special hunts every year. And uh, just talk about a little bit about that, and then we'll wrap up. Well, I um, f- 15 years ago, I became, through a series of, of events, uh, connected, affiliated with a, um, a special hunt ranch uh, up in uh, Michigan, uh, about an hour north of Grand Rapids. It's the Two Hats Ranch, and um, it's a high-fence deer operation, and they produce some phenomenal deer and it's all um they don't do any um a and i um inoculating they're not doing any there's no breeding farm it's just selective harvest and take a lot of dose you know essentially what we teach the public to do Mm -hmm. but they're doing it in a concentrated area and produce some huge deer well this family that owns the ranch the bettises uh skipper and Glenna Bettis, Skipper, was a, uh, a Texas Ranger oh, wow. uh, here in Texas. Or That's awesome. State Trooper. I'm yep. not sure exactly, and I he's going to kick me next time I see him for not <laughs> knowing that, which. But I, I'm not sure now, either t- Ranger or State Trooper. But anyway, he did that for a career. Then he was a, had an outfitting guide service in Canada for a full career and now for another whole lifetime this guy's ageless he runs this this phenomenal hunting operation in michigan his uh his son colby who isn't you know he's got teenage kids now but colby is the the second hat they wear cowboy hats even up in michigan you know so that's the two hats well this is a very um generous christian family that wanted to be able to give back and so and do something extra so they every year host a hunt for kids with special needs and they let six kids from all over the country come in with some type of uh terminal illness, physical disability, whatever the nature is, that would prevent them from experiencing a hunt, you know, under normal circumstances. And uh, so for 15 years now, they've let me pick one of those six kids. And I've taken uh, uh, just some phenomenal kids and their families up to Michigan every year. Everything from, I mean, there is nothing that we haven't been able to accomplish. Uh, We've had... um, uh, Down syndrome kids. We've had cerebral palsy kids. We've had MS. We've had um, uh, the last two years. One, well, two years. I've made it a special goal of mine to find a kid with the same birth defect I have. Right. Yeah. So I've taken two kids the last two years That's with awesome. AMC. Um, some of these kids are. Uh, many of them are. Uh, paraplegic meaning that they're non-ambulatory in a wheelchair some are quadriplegic no mm-hmm. use of all four limbs yeah and we're they're getting deer i've, I mean, I've seen some of yeah. it's phenomenal uh the technology that's advanced for them to use automated triggers that they that are hooked up to a puffer straw and they just put that straw in their mouth and suck in and it activates the trigger and shoots uh and the kid I took last they year to experience it. Yeah, That's they so crazy. the kid I took last year, Michael, <laughs> um, has AMC, very limited use of his hands. 
uh, especially range of motion. They're mostly down uh, right at his, his waistline mm-hmm. most of the time. And so he couldn't hold a gun up, couldn't pull a trigger conventionally, and they hooked an apparatus up where um, he could control the gun movement with a joystick on his chair. So it's right there at hand level. He could use his elbow. I use my elbow for a lot of stuff, Mm -hmm. too. And he could control the gun. The gun then had a LCD monitor above the scope that... Um, showed what was visible in the scope. So he's not having to get down there and look through the scope. He just looks at the monitor, uses the joystick, lined the gun up, the crosshairs on the deer. We all then can lean back and look on the monitor too and say, yep, you're there. You're on the sweet spot. You're ready for the shot. And he did all that himself. And, so, and shot a, so cool and rewarding for everybody. And every kid, every year, it's just such an incredible story and an incredible blessing to be a part of that every year. Um, They have a ministry that um, they have volunteers locally in Michigan that really um, raise a lot of funding for it. It's called Quest Ministries, Lakeshore Quest Ministries, if you want to look that up. And it's it's a, a very, very worthy cause that is affecting a lot of people in a very positive that's way that's awesome yeah we'll make sure um i'll get the link for sure. you so we can include it in the show oh, absolutely. and stuff so yeah that's awesome todd and uh man um we could do this for the next six hours but i think me and <laughs> sure. you both want to get back in the turkey woods <laughs> we're a we've got a pretty eventful i gotta day. try out scooter oh, yeah well what is what is that behind scooter us scooter is my little invention experiment in the works um so it's an RC four-wheel drive, four, four-wheel steering RC car. I took the body off of it and put a strutting decoy oh, on wow. it. That's, and that's, that's it's awesome. pretty dang awesome. It's heavy, yeah. but you, you can pull it, it out. Right here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you can see it on camera or not, but... It is... <laughs> If, if you, nothing else... If you haven't seen this, you got to check out some of Todd's videos he's got. Scooter. That's him. Uh, uh, my goal is to get Scooter have the snot beat out of Scooter by a gobbler. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. Yeah, as long as you can get it on video, because I want to see that. So, And, and you know, because turkey hunters can all relate. You'll have that, sometimes we call him a field bird. He'll just go out in the very middle of a great big hay pasture and sit there and gobble all day long and never move. So my thought is, get some movement. Maybe I go out there. I, I mean, I drive Scooter out to him. Yeah turn around and bring him back like the Pied Piper right by me. I mean, that would, I doubt it's going to work that way, but wouldn't that be awesome? It would be awesome. It would be a first. So, man, people are always coming up with crazy stuff for turkeys, man. I mean, these guys. got to keep it fresh. Yeah, yeah, for sure. New challenge every year. He's he's definitely my challenge this year. Well, well, um, well, tell us where people can follow along you, and then, um, and of course, you know, the wildlife department stuff. So well, there is there is a website that I don't, it's not active, uh, toddcraighead.com, uh, but you can get some background history about me on that website, but really, honestly, follow me on social media, Todd Craighead, Facebook, um, uh, on Instagram, my coworkers give me a hard time about this but it's mr outdoor oklahoma uh and i always want to add you know mr february (laughs) outdoor oklahoma but uh no but um yeah i mean i i am open to all kinds of people you know some 
some people in the public eye like to keep you know a social page and then their right. public figure page i just have the one so yeah you bet if you're not weird i'll accept you how's that <laughs> yeah well i'm glad we got to connect you know last year absolutely and, and, uh, i'm glad you got down here for this and um and hopefully we'll get a turkey um, tonight. Somebody should get one on the ground Hell tonight. Yeah. This is, it's starting to heat up. I think they're going to be moving. And yeah. we're having a big crawfish boil tonight, too. Yes. Can't so, wait. So, yeah, it's going to be exciting. So, um, anyway, thanks, well, man. Appreciate thank you. it. You so, bet. All right. <laughs>